Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Several years ago, I heard John Piper do a message on uh, great Christians, a biographical address that uh, I believe he does on an annual basis. And so I downloaded every one of them and listened to them all, and they were a great blessing and encouragement to me as you hear stories in the life and the uh, struggles and ups and downs of those great saints who have gone before us. And so in that context, the Lord moved in my heart to think about doing something similar, but making a slight adjustment, and the two adjustments were, one, uh, I would always, at the beginning of the fall convocation, uh, bring a message that dealt with the life of a great missionary. And then I would take that life and wed it to a biblical text that I thought was descriptive and that their lives in particular melted together with so beautifully. So this morning I want to direct your attention, if you would, to the 67th Psalm, Psalm 67. We're going to give our attention to these seven verses. And the title of my message, my address this morning, is The Missionary Psalm, Beautifully Obeyed in the Life and Martyrdom of John and Betty Stam. Psalm 67, verse 1 through verse 7, I'm reading from the ESV. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. The faithfulness of God is the only certain thing in the world today. We need not fear the results of trusting Him. Those words were given in a valedictory address by a man named John Stamm, a young missionary to China, who along with his gifted wife Betty would indeed live out those words all the way to their beheading for King Jesus. They would give their lives for our Savior in martyrdom, Betty dying at the age of 28, John at the age of 27, leaving behind a three-month-old little girl. Missionary Daniel Smith would note of their final moments, they were roughly handled, stripped of their outward clothing, painfully bound, and publicly beheaded. They died, but not without the comfort and support of the Lord and not without the light of life shining through the darkest circumstances life could bring. God indeed did make His light shine upon the life of John and Betty Sam as He promises to those who seek to make Him famous among the nations. Psalm 67, I believe, was beautifully fulfilled in the lives of these two individuals as well as in their deaths. Psalm 67 is actually a collection. It's a part of a collection of psalms, beginning with Psalm 65 and going through Psalm 68, that emphasize God's providence and God's concern, especially for the nation of Israel. 
uh, for all the nations and also for creation. And out of gratitude to God for the blessings in which He has visited us, we are moved, as verses 2 and 3 and 5 and 7 tell us, to go to all the nations, to all the peoples, and as verse 2 tells us, to tell them of our God's great saving power. Uh, these, uh, this psalm, these verses, basically find their source in two great Old Testament texts. One, uh, the great Abrahamic covenant of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And also the ironic blessing found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And basically five things leap out from this text in terms of what we should understand as we prepare to walk through it. First of all, we see that both Hebrews and Gentiles come together to fear and praise our God. We note that the nations are mentioned no less than three times in verse 2 and verse 4. The earth is mentioned four times in verse 2, 4, 6, and 7. And the peoples, they're referenced five times in verse 3, 4, and 5, with the word all appearing four times. So this anonymous uh, songwriter, we don't know who penned Psalm 67, is confident and has the conviction that God would be praised by all the peoples and uh, all of the nations. John and Betty had this in their heart from the time that they were very, very young. In fact, even at the tender age of 18, Betty Stam could write, and I quote, Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept Thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to Thee to be Thine forever. Fill me and seal me with Thy Holy Spirit. Use me as Thou wilt. Send me where Thou wilt and work out Thy whole will in my life at any cost. Now and forever. Words penned by an 18-year-old. This song basically has three major movements that I wanted to walk you through quickly this morning. Note, first of all, in the first three verses that the psalmist tells us, God's salvation, it must be known among the nations. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. For what end? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. We now know that there are more than 6,900 unreached people groups in the world today. They constitute, according to the Joshua Project, 2.8 billion people who have either no access to the gospel or very limited access to the gospel. In other words, many of them, most of them, almost all of them will be born. They will live and they will die and they will go to hell and they never even one time heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not an acceptable situation, brothers and sisters. And therefore, you and I must be moved by this psalm and by the totality of God's Word to take that message that the nations would hear of His saving power. Of course, God sent His Son as a missionary with His saving power. You want to know what Jesus thought in terms of His own personal mission? Hear the words of Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he came into this world as a missionary to give his life as a bloody atonement, paying in full the penalty of your sin and my sin, having been raised from the dead, that his glorious gospel through us might be extended and taken to all the nations. 
John Stamm again picked this up early in his life. In a letter to one of his brothers, he said, and I quote, Take away anything I have, but do not take away the sweetness of walking and talking with the King of glory. It is good to let our thoughts run away with us sometimes concerning the greatness of our God and His marvelous kindness toward us. Looking back, what encouragement we find for the future. What wonderful leadings and providence. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Yes, indeed, God's salvation must be known among the nations. Note in verse 1 that the Bible says the nations must know of His mercy. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Again, this is the language of the ironic blessing of, of Numbers chapter 6 and picking up on the language of Genesis chapter 12. He says, first, let God be gracious to us, a reminder that all the blessings we receive come from a gracious God from a God who gives us what we do not deserve. Secondly, he says, bless us. Move the, remove the ravages of the curse and the fall. Lord, stay your hand of wrath and your hand of judgment, Lord, that we so rightly deserve. But in contrast, through your Son, flood us with your grace and flood us with your blessing. But third, he says, make your face to shine upon us. The idea is that the Lord looks upon you and me with pleasure. He looks upon you and me with acceptance. Clothed, not in our own righteousness, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, you can smile at us with your love and with your acceptance. I love what Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 15 says in this context. In the light of a king's face, there is life. And his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. It is not surprising that John and Betty Stamm wound up where they did, giving their lives on the mission field. Both of them were blessed with great uh, mercy. Both of them were blessed tremendously by being allowed to come into a Christian family and a Christian home. John's father and mother actually ran what was called the Star of Hope Mission in Patterson, New Jersey, where it was said of that mission, and I quote, Scores of young people converted and trained in the mission have gone to other fields at home and abroad, and still the Word of God is being sent out from the old center in no less than 40 different languages. John would trust Christ at the age of 15 while hearing the preaching of a blind evangelist, and very early in his life he would make the commitment that he would serve the Lord Jesus no matter where it was that he would send him. Betty, on the other hand, was born into a Presbyterian family, a missionary family, and was both born and raised and would die in China. In fact, the influence of her parents was so great that all five of her siblings, counting herself, surrendered to be and lived the life of career missionaries. In fact, Betty would say, our parents never urged it. It just seemed the natural and the right thing to do. Would to God that that would be true of families throughout the Southern Baptist Convention. Would to God that that would be true for you and your own children, and now for some of us, our grandchildren, that going to the mission field, taking the gospel to the unreached peoples of this world would just be what? The natural and the right thing to do. Both John and Betty would follow the Lord's leading to Moody Bible Institute where they met and where they fell in love. Betty would sail for China in 1931 at the age of 25. John would leave a year later, also at the age of 25. Yes, he married an older woman. But it took, 
And on October the 25th, 1933, having been separated for a year, they reunited and married the very next day. Betty had prayed all of her life that God would bring into her experience such a man as John. In fact, again, at the very tender age of 18, she wrote a poem about her future husband called My Ideal, and she wrote these words in the last stanza, quote, He will not be a rich man. He has no earthly hoard. His money, time, heart, and mind, and soul are given to the Lord. He'll be a modern Daniel, a Joshua, a Paul. He will not hesitate to give to God his earthly all. He'll be, he'll be my hero, a strong-armed fighting man, defender of the gospel, and Christian gentleman. Oh, if he asks the question, my answer, yes, will be, for I would trust and cherish him for all eternity. Yes, they knew of the Lord's mercy, but also... They knew that the nations must learn of His salvation. Look at verse 2. God is gracious to us. God blesses us. God makes His face shine on us. To what end? That Your way, Lord, may be known on earth, Your saving power among all the nations. The communists were making significant inroads in China in the 1930s. And missionaries were being encouraged to retreat and even to return home. But when challenged in that way, John Stamm sat down and wrote back to the mission board these words, and I quote, If we wait till all is peaceful, how shall this present suffering generation hear the gospel? We have our unalterable commission from Him who gave His life for us, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The words of a great military leader in this connection give us the true perspective. Look to your marching orders. How do these read? And so they did not withdraw, they did not resist, but they stayed faithful even to the very end. Verse 2 is a beautiful example of the Hebrew parallelism where different words affirm the same truth of God's blessings being poured out on His people. We see that God has indeed blessed us for two ends. One, that His way may be known on earth, and secondly, His saving power among all the nations. Now, don't miss that. God indeed wishes to bless His people, but for what end? That His way and His saving power will be known among all the nations. In other words, God blesses us that we might be a blessing. God is gracious to us that we might take His grace to the nations. And so God blesses me not for me, but God blesses me for the use of me and the salvation of all people. Again, here uh, Betty Stam in a letter to one of her brothers, I quote, No one can force a single soul, Christian, so-called, or heathen, to turn to Christ. All his followers have to do, all they can do, is to lift up Christ before the world. Bring Him into dingy corners and dark places of the earth where He is unknown. Introduce Him to strangers. Talk about Him to everybody and live so closely with and in Him that others may see that there really is such a person as Jesus because some human being proves it by being like Him. That is positively all the Lord asks us to do for Him because He Himself will do the rest. And then in a piece of paper found in their home after they had been arrested and then beheaded, Betty, again, the perpetual poet, had penned these words, Open my eyes that I may see this one and that one needing thee. Hearts that are dumb, unsatisfied, lives that are dead for whom Christ died. 
Open my eyes in sympathy. Clear into man's deep soul to see. Wise with thy wisdom to discern. And with the heart of love to yearn. Open my eyes in faith, I pray. Give me the strength to speak today. Someone to bring, dear Lord, to thee. Use me, O Lord. Use even me. And so the nations must know of his mercy. The nations must learn of his salvation. But the nations must also enjoy his praise. The blessings of God and salvation always give way to praise. And here, all the nations in verse 2 and all the peoples in verse 3, what do they do? Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. All 16,689 people groups that constitute almost 7 million people are to come and praise this great God who has saved us and redeemed us that we might in turn be used by Him to be a great blessing to the nations. When John Stamm graduated from Moody Bible Institute, he was so loved and respected by his uh, fellow students that they invited him to give the final address in a message called, The Field is the World. He gave what has become a historic address there at Moody. It's a little lengthy. I won't read all of it, but there's certain parts of it that I think just stand out for you and for me this morning. Listen as I read from his address. In politics today, men are thinking in terms of international affairs in business. All the continents are being combed for markets, and even in daily life, every newspaper reader is becoming world conscious. And yet, We, the people of God, have not fully realized that we are to be a testimony to the world. Heathen populations are growing in numbers daily, but we are not reaching them, much less matching their increasing numbers with increased efforts to bring them the gospel. Our own civilization also challenges us as Christian workers. This country, once so strong in its Christian testimony, is becoming increasingly godless. If that was true in 1930, what is it like today? We have been guilty of acting more like the beleaguered garrison of a doomed fortress than like soldiers of our ever-conquering Christ. Shall we beat a retreat and turn back from our high calling in Christ Jesus? Or dare we advance at God's command in face of the impossible? Let us remind ourselves that the Great Commission was never qualified by clauses calling for advance only if funds were plentiful, No hardships or self-denial involved. On the contrary, we are told to expect tribulation and even persecution, but with it, victory in Christ. Friends, the task we all, the task with all its attendant difficulties is enough to fill our hearts with dismay if we look only to ourselves and our weakness. But the authority in our Master's command is to go forward should fill us with joy and the expectation of victory. He knows our weakness. He knows our lack of supplies. He knows the roughness of the way. And His command carries with it the assurance of all we need. And as I began the message, here's where we find it. The faithfulness of God is the only certain thing in the world today. We need not fear the result of trusting Him. So we dare not turn back because the way looks dark. We must go forward in the face of the impossible, even if we only know the next step. It is ours to show in the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ and in personal communion with Him a joy unspeakable, full of glory. A glory that cannot be affected by outside circumstances. Does it not thrill our hearts to realize that we do not go forward in our own strength? Think of it. 
God Himself is with us as our captain. The Lord of hosts is present in person on every field of conflict to encourage us and fight for us with such a leader who never lost a battle or deserted a soldier in distress or failed to get through the needed supplies, who would not accept the challenge to go forward bearing precious seed. Absolutely. And would to God that that kind of passion for the nations would grip the heart and soul of every one of us here at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. God's salvation must be known among the nations. Secondly, God's righteousness must be known among the nations. We do serve an awesome God, a God, though, who takes personal attention and has personal affection for every individual. And by invading this world through His Son and now through His people, He reveals His character. He puts on display His glory for our enjoyment. In this particular psalm, two things stand out in verse 4 and in verse 5. First of all, He is a God of justice. And secondly, he is a God worthy of praise. He is a God of justice. Look at verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For you judge the peoples with equity, with, with justice, with, with righteousness. Furthermore, verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So he speaks here, first of all, of a righteous, just God. And then he speaks of a God that is indeed worthy of our praise. Our God is no respecter of persons. And our God does not have any favorites when it comes to race or ethnicity or anything else like that. As, 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 as Peter learned very well in Acts chapter 10, I perceive our God is no respecter of persons. John Piper nails it when he says, At the judgment, no bribes will be considered, no sophisticated plea bargaining, all who proceed on the basis of God's unimpeachable righteousness. There is no let's make a deal with this God. And indeed, He is a God of righteousness and a God of justice who indeed provides His guiding hand for His people. Again, listen to what Betty Stam wrote in a letter to her parents again as she was entering into college. I don't know what God has in store for me. I really am willing to be an old maid missionary or an old maid anything all my life if God wants me to. It is as clear as daylight to me that the only worthwhile life is one of unconditional surrender to God's will and of living in His way, trusting His love and His guidance. And one year later, after entering into college, she again sat down and wrote, When we consecrate ourselves to God, we think we are making a great sacrifice and doing lots for Him, when really we are only letting go of some little bitsy trinkets we have been grabbing, and when our hands are empty, He fills them full of His treasures. Yes, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Our God judges righteously. He guides the nations upon the earth. And yes, let the nations praise Him, for He is worthy. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is the second time that all the peoples have been called to shout out in praise to the one true and living God. That word all occurring four times in our psalm, I believe, anticipates that glorious vision found in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palms 
palm branches in their hands and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so indeed, this promise that we have in Psalm 67 verse 5 is destined to be fulfilled in that day. And so God's salvation must be known among all the nations. His righteousness must be known among all the nations. And number three, God's goodness must also be known among the nations. Verse 6, let the, uh, the earth has yielded its increase, God our God, and you shall bless. God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Like many who come to this place, initially John Stamm's parents were not enthusiastic about him going to the mission field. They used a classic, worn-out argument. Well, sweetheart, there are plenty of lost people here, and certainly that is true. In fact, uh, this particular seminary and I have on a number of occasions been criticized for having such a passion for the unreached when there are those who are unreached here. And I, I really acknowledge, hear me and hear me well, I think my theology is on target. Lost is lost. If you're lost in North Carolina or if you are lost somewhere in India, you're just as lost as one another is lost. I understand that. However, in North Carolina alone, there are 4,000 southern Baptist churches. And in the country of Turkey, and I was just recently with a former IMB missionary who was the regional leader in that particular area, in a country of about 72 million, they now estimate somewhere between three and 4,000 believers. You're not dumb. You can do the math. There are more Southern Baptist churches in North Carolina than there are believers in Turkey. You're telling me the need is the same? John Stamm didn't think so. He sat down and wrote to his father after they had a discussion about this. The Lord knows, knows where he wants me, whether it be in Holland, in Patterson, or someplace in the States, in China, or in India. However, it does look frightfully disproportionate to see so many here in comparison with so few over yonder. That truth should never, ever, ever, ever escape your heart and your mind. There are so many here. There are so few there. You're telling me that our God is calling more and more of us to stay than to go? I just can't see it. No, this stanza promises that God indeed is going to bless through His people. He is going to bless with an abundant harvest. Verse 6 doesn't mean a whole lot to you and me, does it? The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. But if you were to travel with my wife and me last year to southern Sudan, you would walk among a people where there's no running water, there is no electricity. They are basically all farmers. They have dug water wells to raise significantly the lifespan of their people because of dysentery and the other things come with impure water. And if they have a drought, they just don't grieve. They die. And so when God brings abundant rain and brings a fruitful harvest, they indeed praise Him, bless Him. They recognize that God is indeed being very, very gracious to them. And so they recognize that when the blessing of God comes, the earth will yield its increase and God will bless us. And again, He will bless us so that all the ends of the earth will fear Him. God blessed the ends of the earth through the life of John and Betty Stam, though tragically, 
It came to a close far too quickly. They'd been warned that they needed to leave the city where they were serving, but unfortunately the communist rebels got in too quickly and they were confined. And so they were trapped and were not able to escape. And very quickly, as I move to close, I just want to recount for you the story of how they met their end, but also, even in the martyrdom of this precious couple, how the providential hand of God was also still working. And I quote, Betty was bathing three-month-old Helen when the city magistrate appeared. Communist forces were near. He warned them to flee the city. But before they could make their break, the communists were inside the city. Communist bandits quickly came, pounding at their door. John opened and spoke cursely to the four leaders uh, who were there, asking them if they were hungry. Betty brought them tea to drink and cakes to eat. But the courtesy was not returned, and they demanded all the money that the Stams had. John willingly handed it over to them. Then he was bound and led away. Before long, the bandits reappeared, taking Betty and little Helen. That night, John was allowed to write a letter to the missionary authorities. It read, My wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists. Their demand is $20,000 for our release. The Lord bless and guide you. As for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. The letter was not received by the mission board until after they had been murdered. Prisoners in the local jail were released to make room for the stams. At one point, frightened by rifle fire, little Helen began to cry. One of the communist rebels said, let's kill the baby. It is in our way. A bystander asked, why kill her? What harm has she done? Are you a Christian? shouted one of the guards. The man said he was not, but that he was one of the prisoners just released. Will you die for this foreign baby, they asked. As Betty hugged little Helen to her chest, the man was hacked to pieces before all of their eyes. The next morning, their captors led the Stams toward Mileseo on a 12-mile march. Under guard, the entire Stam family was taken into a postmaster's shop. Where are you going, asked the postmaster, who recognized them. We do not know where they are going, but we're going to heaven, answered John. That night, the three were held in the house of a wealthy man who had fled. They were carefully guarded by soldiers. John was tied to a post all that cold winter night. Betty was allowed enough freedom to tend to the baby, and as it turned out, she did more than that. The next morning, the young couple were led through the town without the baby. Their hands were tightly bound, and they were stripped of their clothing as if they were common criminals. John walked barefoot in the cold snow, He'd given his socks to his wife, Betty. The soldiers jeered and called the townsfolk to come see the execution. The terrified people obeyed. On the way to the execution, a medicine seller considered a lukewarm Christian at best stepped from the crowd and pleaded for the lives of the two foreigners. The communist bandits angrily ordered him back. The man, however, would not be quiet. The house was searched. A Bible and hymn book were found in his home. He also was dragged away to be executed as a hated and despised Christian. John pleaded for this man's life. The bandit leader sharply ordered him to kneel, and as John was speaking softly, the communist leader swung his sword through the missionary's throat so that his head was severed from his body. Betty did not scream. She quivered in the cold, fell bound beside her husband's body. As she knelt there, the same sword ended her life with a single blow. Again, they were 27 and 28. For two days, local Christians were in hiding in the hills around the city. 
But among them was a Chinese evangelist named Mr. Lowe. Through informants, he learned that the communists had captured two foreigners. At first, he did not realize it was John and Betty Stam. As soon as government troops entered the valley and it was safe to venture forth, he hurried to town. An old woman told the pastor that a small baby had been left behind. She pointed in the direction of the house where John and Betty had been chained their last night on earth. He hurried to the side and found room and found room after room trashed by the bandits. But then he heard a muffled cry. Tucked by her mother in a little sleeping bag, Helen was warm and alive, although hungry, after not having eaten for two days. The kindly pastor took the child in his arms and carried her to his wife. And with the help of a local Christian family, he wrapped the bodies that still lay upon the hillside, placed them into coffins so that the crowd could gather, and he explained to them that the missionaries had only come to tell them about forgiveness and Jesus. Leaving others to bury the dead, he hurried home. He had to take the little baby to safety. Pastor Lowe had to find a way to move the children a hundred miles through mountains infested by bandits and communists. Brave men were found who were willing to help bear the children to safety, but they had no money to pay them for their efforts. Pastor Lowe, Evangelist Lowe, had been robbed of everything he had. But, and I love the way this author said it, from beyond the grave, Betty had provided. Tucked in Helen's sleeping bag were a change of clothes, some diapers. Pinned between these articles of clothing were two $5 bills. It made the difference. Placing the children in rice baskets slung from the two ends of a bamboo pole, the group departed quietly, taking turns carrying this precious cargo over their shoulders. Mr. Lowe was able to find Christian mothers along the way to nurse the little baby. And eight days after the Stams had been killed by communists, another missionary in a nearby city heard a knock at his door. He opened, and a Chinese woman, stained with travel, entered the house, bearing a bundle in her arms. She cried, This is all we have left. Helen Priscilla Stam was three months old when her parents were killed in China. But by God's grace, she had survived. She would be brought to the United States, cared for her by her grandparents, who had also been missionaries in China, until she was five years old. Then she was adopted by her mother's sister and husband, who were missionaries in the Philippines. She grew up in the Philippines, returned to the United States for college, after which she was involved in student life for the remainder of her life. Following their death, a small group of Christians took the bodies of John and Betty Stam and buried them on a hillside. Their gravestones read, John Cornelius Stam, that Christ may be glorified, whether by life or death, Philippians 1.20. The next tombstone, Elizabeth Scott Stam, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Following their death, Betty's parents made this public statement. Everything about Helen's deliverance tells us of God's love and power. And we know that if he could bring a tiny, helpless infant, not three months old, through such dangers in perfect safety, he could no less surely have saved the lives of her precious parents had that been his divine plan for them. John would write a letter to his father, just before they would be captured and martyred. It is not um, in, the, in the letter, there, there's a, a song. It's not his words, but it became something of a motto for him throughout his life. I close with these words from a poem or a song entitled, Afraid, listen very carefully. Afraid of what? 
to feel the Spirit's glad release, to pass from pain to perfect peace, the strife and strain of life to cease, afraid of that. Afraid of what? Afraid to see the Savior's face, to hear His welcome and to trace the glory gleam from wounds of grace. Afraid of that. Afraid of what? A flash, a crash, a pierced heart, darkness, light, O heaven's art, a wound of his, a counterpart, afraid of that? Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not. Baptized with blood, a stony plot, till souls shall blossom from that spot. Afraid of that? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our precious Lord Jesus. And as this psalm teaches, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. Lord, help us to love you more than we fear man and what he might do to us. And Lord, bless us as you bless John and Betty Stam, if it be your will. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to stand and sing our seminary hymn. We will then be led in our benediction uh, this morning by Sean Madden. I would ask as you're standing to please remain where you are until the faculty has recessed. And then once we have left the auditorium, then you two are dismissed. And many of us will be out front to greet you following this service. It is my prayer that indeed God will bless you with a wonderful semester here. And it is my prayer that like many others, you might follow in the footsteps of a John and Betty Stam, even if it be God's will to take your life, knowing that through it, great glory will be brought to our great King's name. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.